Rogers Podcast. Happy New Year! Happy 2022! <laughs> we are grateful to make it to another year. 22 months of being in a pandemic can really work on your mind. Hmm. So, But we're here to start Faith and Fibroids Our Deuce. <laughs> uh, we had an overwhelming response, so we just want to go back to that. We also had some questions as well from yeah. uh, in our inbox in our email. And so we want to thank you also for our listeners, our subscribers. We're thankful for you as well as sending emails with questions. Mm -hmm. So let's dive into it. Let's do it. And one of the questions was, what were the helpful things in your community? Excuse me. What were the helpful things people in your community did for you in your journey, be it verbal or actions? Mm -hmm. I'll kick it off. I think showing up in conversation, being open to what I'm feeling right now. I could no longer do some things that were important to me and going to Target for mental health reasons of walking around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Sinead knows that I love to just walk in Target. Sometimes I just would go after work. Um, I'm, you know, uh, I I like to shop and and as well as Target has amazing things. Everybody likes Target. And in addition to that, uh, they're they're highlighting a lot of black artists, designers Mm -hmm. uh, in Target now. So go to your Target. Black History Month as well is upon us. Uh, Even though we're black 365 days of the year. Unapologetically. Okay. Okay. Black (laughs) is beautiful. Uh, So one of the things that I like to do going back and focusing uh, is I like to walk in Target. One time I was in Target and... I just was just started bleeding heavily to the point that it started staining my pants. And so some of those things that were important to me, I could no longer do. Showing up in conversation, being open to what I'm feeling right now. I could no longer do some of the things that were important to me, church, shopping, Target, taking walks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes your friend may uh, be a safe target for those frustrations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also think that if you remain open to what your friend or family member is feeling right now, Mm -hmm. if you can provide a safe space for someone to be open and authentic, I think you give them a very uh, enormous gift of just value. Nobody knows exactly what to say 100% of the time, which is cool. Especially in situations that are anxious uh, with emotion for everyone that is involved. True that. The primary barrier, I think, in having good conversations about illness is that most of us feel a little anxious talking about uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. So I, Bryn Brown has a, a quote, and she says to lean into the discomfort. And I think when you lean into discomfort, it'll help with navigating that. It'll give you that experience. And I'm not, when I say experience, I mean just and how to approach a situation. All situations are different, but many people experiencing illnesses feel isolated, misunderstood. That was a big one for me, being misunderstood, isolated as well, because sickness can't isolate you because you need to be near the bed, <laughs> near the bathroom, the toilet, whatever it may be. Being home is a little bit more comfortable because you can be, you can, you can just be you and you're not judged. So it's hard for people around them to engage their true experience. And so my true experience, sometimes it was hard to engage because people misunderstood that. So you don't need to say all the right things, just the willingness to listen and hold space for someone's experience. It speaks volumes. Me and Shanae were actually going to travel for ministry. And I was just like, I don't think I can go. It had just become, I mean, it was like, say for instance, you're incontinent. You can't hold your pee. It was like, you can't hold blood. It's just, I mean, it sounds a little raw. I mean, but it just, it, it is what it is. I can't, I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't control it. And so I think 
holding that space for someone's experience it speaks volumes. It was, I think it, it was an, an evening you came to my house and I just started crying. I was just like, I never knew that I'd have to have a peel box. <laughs> um, I'd have to carry, you know, feminine products in my trunk as well as in, I started, you know, excuse me, as well as having it in my backpack at work in my, in my desk. It was overwhelming. So being there speaks volumes. And she was a target for frustration, tears, sometimes anger as well. And I appreciate you as well as my brothers were a great support system as well. Mm-hmm. So it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know what to say, but Shanae, you matter to me. And I'm here for the duration of that. Mm-hmm. So presence and showing up. And if you do say the wrong thing on your mistake, apologize mm-hmm. and start over. I like that. Yeah. yeah. You want to piggyback off that? What are the helpful things people in your community did for you in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had friends and even colleagues because, you know, during the time where I was uh, really battling through a lot of the struggles with uh, fibroids and some of the really like the, I guess you could say severe symptoms, I would okay. be in the office. And so I would have to leave early or step yeah. away from my desk and those kind of things, you know, they create curiosity, right? <laughs> yeah, and people sure. are going to ask, you know, out of good intention, are you okay? Uh, you know, I know you're getting back, you know, getting up back and forth from your desk. Is everything okay? And then after a while, I got to a point where I couldn't even hide, I guess, the look on my face. I would look fatigued or just, mm. just overwhelmed and like yeah. over it, really. And so having friends... Um, at work that would just check in on me, see if I was okay, offering to grab me, you know, whether it was hot tea or I, I can remember one uh, friend asking if I wanted to take a walk to talk about it. Um, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but just knowing that they were like, like you were mentioning, just that offer to be there was really important with the friends and colleagues that I did, did choose to speak about it with. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed at how many of them were very um, big advocates and proponents of me reaching out to my medical uh, provider and making sure that I was, you know, talking about this with my doctor and not sitting on it and not, you know, not letting it go on. And in a sense, what we talked about in the first episode, not normalizing these yeah. symptoms and the things that I was experiencing, you mm-hmm. know, telling me, well, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're still on your menstrual cycle after seven days, that that's worth a phone call, you know, at least to the doctor. And I was just Indeed. like, wow, I really appreciate you all directing me back to the medical professionals and not trying to, you know, sometimes we would try to diagnose each other and that's not always um, uh, the wisest <laughs> thing to do. So yeah, that's what I would add. Okay. And she has like a three-part question, uh, the subscriber. So okay. that was the first question. The second question is, were, what were the unhelpful things people did? You want to kick that off? Or I'd be happy to. to. Go ahead. Yeah. So some of the unhelpful things um, that people would do is... In one case, I can remember sharing with someone, and the reason why I shared was because I, I didn't want them to think that I was being rude by stepping um, out of uh, a venue that we okay. were at. And I wanted, you know, I want to look like I'm, I'm present. I am here. But at the same time, girl, I got to head over to this restroom. Right. <laughs> I got a situation. And so when I shared um, what was the cause of my um, brief absence, I was met with dismissive comments like, oh, girl, that ain't nothing. That's so good. I've been there before. I had that, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, oh, oh, I, I, I wasn't actually seeking um, feedback or direction uh, or, what you, yeah, <laughs> or what you experienced right. when you had this. Again, everyone's journey with Firewood, you said this in the first episode, Angela, it is unique to each person. So I know you can feel like, oh, I can relate, sis. I, I've had fibroids as well, or I do have fibroids. Our journeys are still our journeys. Mm-hmm. And so I just was really kind of, 
put off by uh, some of the dismissive comments that came, mm-hmm. especially from women that were older than me. Right. Um, Old doesn't mean what? Wise. <laughs> I was kind of seeking them out for like wisdom in cases because mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, that these are mothers. They've, they've likely, you know, um, met these challenges. These are black women as well. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, these are, these are good safe places to, uh, to pick up some, um, some helpful information from. And I just was met with, uh, not what I was expecting. And and I, in some cases, I actually found myself regretting that I ever told them about it. Indeed. Yeah, so yeah, that was some of the un, unhelpful things that people did. I have two things, actually okay. kind of three, but I want to piggyback on the dismissing because I actually have that. Yeah. I thought comparison and dismissing, mm. that people t- tend to usually, excuse me, people tend to casually dismiss invisible illnesses. Mm, and when I shared with a particular woman, um, who also suffered from fibroids and had mm. surgery. It was the di- dis- diminishing for me. Mm. That's it. Her comments and my struggles were, I felt distasteful, rude, um, to say the least. And it also, I felt, diminished the struggles of others. Oh, wow. um, and so, please don't suggest therapies, treatments, doctors, <laughs> tests, mm. um, unless explicitly asked. Instead, try, that sounds really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are one of the things that you know, that sounds really difficult. I think listening to it really helps. So it's the comparison and the, and the dismissing for me. Wow. Also, this is one uh, big for me, complimenting. You look good, girl. <laughs> uh, this is probably the most common reaction oh, that wow. people, again, with invisible illnesses get. Because it's the one that, I feel, to me, it was it was upsetting. Um, I think it's partially an automatic response mm. to register surprise that, you know, you looking good despite, you know, bleeding all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to come in here looking crazy, but to my surprise, right. you fine, girl. <laughs> in some weird way, it's meant as a compliment. It's your way of saying on the mm. outside, you're doing a remarkable job yeah. of coping with something that must be extremely difficult on the inside. Yeah. The problem is it can be very invalidating. People with, again, invisible and chronic illnesses often struggle with feeling believed and seen. And this type of response feels dismissive. For me, I did a lot in ministry. I'm preaching. I also, let's just say praise dance for lack of a better word. Praise dance. I sing praise and worship. <laughs> I pray. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would do a lot one time in one service. Mm-hmm. You were, you know, and so sometimes people can think because I'm doing all of that, as mm-hmm. well as suffering with an invisible illness, that I am good. But it was challenging to say the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going in and out, and sometimes, you know, when you're suffering from fibroids, you could feel the pull. Um, or the flow or uh, 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 the surge that you need to go to the restroom. Stat. <laughs> um, so to me, again, it's very invalidating. Um, and I think people should work to override the urge to talk about how someone looks or seems, even if you mean it as a compliment. Yep. Make it clear that you believe them and acknowledge what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I kept things uh, to myself, kept it private, not because, you know, that's my parents are boomers. That's their generation. They keep everything private. All of a sudden, you know, they're calling you at the hospital because they suffer with something. You had no idea they were sick. That's not me. Again, we're that generation uh, that is, uh, will not suffer in silence. Um, And so we're speaking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But certain things I did start keeping private because I felt maybe someone's comment was invalidating or, dismissive and so again make it clear that you believe them and acknowledge what they're going 
through. I want to jump in here with one more that that I think we experienced um, specific to mm-hmm. our faith circle. Yep. Oh, and okay. that is, um, <clears throat> it kind of goes along with what you're talking about with the invalidation. So oftentimes, you know, one, because we are Christian and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and we know through his word that he is a healer. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when you're sharing that you are challenged in your health in some capacity, the conversation will quickly shift to, well, I know God can heal you, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I agree, mother. However, it can feel invalidating to just tell me in return after I've been open and transparent and shared that, hey, here's what I'm suffering with. And because it's like you said, a illness that is invisible, you don't see what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. It's just kind of like a well, you know, put on a good face, baby, and come on and praise God because He's worthy. And yes, I'm going to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. But please don't invalidate or diminish, yeah. uh, dismiss my experience. Yeah. Um, if I were to share uh, with people in my faith circles, you know that I'm challenged with suffered a major injury after a car accident and you can visibly see that I have a broken limb or something of that sort, I feel like the response to that would be different than the response that I would often see Mm -hmm. from people um, when I was struggling through fibroids. Because Mm -hmm. I, like you said, I looked normal on the outside. Mm -hmm. But if you really knew me and you looked in my face, you could see the fatigue. I am literally passing blood. So energy and life is just slipping out of me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look and act Mm -hmm. a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. so just to tell me to praise God. <laughs> well, when I praise him, it actually I'm exerting. Energy. Yes, mother. So when so I was I. when I was up giving God a praise, I just that was the last bit of energy I had. And so now I got to go and sit down somewhere. I got a diaper on in church. I'm really not trying to do much movement. I can't run around uh, the sanctuary, mother. Or, right. or else y'all gonna have a crime scene on your hands in the middle. I gotta depend on and I'm trying to depend on God. I mean, I'm I'm double dependent here. I mean Ooh, Jesus. I mean, I think that is so key, invalidating and dismissive. It's interesting because if someone was in a wheelchair, they garner some type of sympathy. Right. Um, if you see someone that is has cancer, they you you know, you're right. like, oh, how are you? Is right. there something I can help you with? Yeah. If you're older, oh, can I help you with something? But say, for instance, you are a healthy, you look healthy and you're suffering with fibroids or um, you've got mental health because you can't see mental health Come issues. On. If you're challenged with, with uh, suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, people don't know that because you're smiling through it. Depression. Those are things that are unseen. And because they're unseen and you share, possibly share it with someone and they invalidate the experience, then now you feel unseen, acknowledged, exactly. and unheard. I was watching one of my Ghetto Ratchet shows, which will remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But one of the things that they were teaching in therapy was the love example. Listen, understand, and validate. Mm -hmm. So, Shanae, you could say something. I would say, you say it, and I would say, what I heard you say, and I understand this, and then you validate it. And so I think it's important to not invalidate someone's experience, but try saying, you know, that sounds really difficult. Yeah, good stuff. What was the next question? What would you say is the most important way for women to support mm. one another on this journey? I've just got one thing. All right. Is there anything I can do to help? I love that. Oh, I love that. I would add on to that. Um, it, you know, at, as you're... Because the thing about 
the fibroid experience, it is a journey. And so what you might need at the beginning of the journey could be different in the middle and be different in the end. Oh, so just staying present and checking in is what mm-hmm. I would add to that. Ah, I love that. Checking yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Checking, checking in. You know, maybe if you decide to go a surgery route, uh, my support for you pre-surgery is, is going to look different than post. Mm-hmm. And so just checking in to find out what those needs are and how I can best support you during the various points along the journey. Love it. There was one thing you had a couple of questions for me uh, in regards to my recovery. Yeah. Did you want to kick that off? Or, I and I said, I keep saying kick off, but you want to start that? Yes, you want ma'am. to dive in? Yeah. I wanted you to speak just a bit to um, how you landed on the, because I don't, I don't think we went into this in the first episode, which is what, rec- not recovery, but what, um, what treatment option did you land on? Mm-hmm. And then talk a little bit about your uh, recovery. Okay. Uh, my treatment plan I landed on it because I wanted to preserve fertility. So mm-hmm. I selected the minimally evasive approach, which is the laparoscopic myoectomy. And this type of surgery involves making three to four tiny incisions over the abdomen at first. I had actually six to seven. I chose the laparoscopic myoectomy. So the surgeon inserts a long tube like camera known as a laparoscope mm-hmm. uh, to visualize the uterus. The surgeon then uses the remaining incisions to insert the surgical instruments to cut and remove the fibroids from the uterus. Mm-hmm. I had a total of 13 fibroids. I'm not sure if I mentioned that on the first episode, okay. but my recovery was between four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And during that period, I was pretty much in the bed. I avoided physical activities such as workouts heavy lifting, but I am feeling better and stronger every day. The bloating is slowly going down. So just trying to implement a nutritional, healthier diet. So yeah, I'm doing good. My first cycle uh, post-surgery was light, lasting less than three days. Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) (laughs) But now it comes at its usual time. My cycles are back to normal with a few less painful cramps and sometimes no cramps at all, which I am grateful for. And we celebrate right along with celebrate you. Thank you for sharing Jesus that. Yes. One of the other points I wanted to add before we wrap up this episode, we shared a lot of information in the first episode with regards to um, being an advocate for your own health. And I wanted to also mention one of the biggest myths that through my research that I discovered, and and maybe part of it too, was just some limiting beliefs that I also had picked up Mm -hmm. along the way. Uh, When I discovered fibroids, I was 39. And I had believed up to that point that fibroids were probably a, you know, more seasoned woman's (laughs) issue. (laughs) And through my research, I cannot tell you how many people, well, specifically women and black women um, that were under the age of 30 with fibroids, some of which did not have to go with any treatment options because the location of the fibroids did not impact fertility or cause any type of... um, complications to their their uh, menstrual cycles but there were some others that were uh, again under 30 years old and had to have uh, like Angela a myoectomy um, to remove them and there were some that were again under 30 trying to have children and discovered fibroids in locations that were going to prevent them from being able to carry and so that was just a myth that I wanted to put out there and also bust because it's not true that fibroids only impact women over a certain age Um, one of the ladies that I follow on Instagram is 26 years old and she had 18 fibroids Mm -hmm. in her abdomen her before and after surgery photos are phenomenal and Mm -hmm. she said she just thought she had a little pudge you know just a little belly and all this time it was fibroids 
And so she was so thankful that before 30 years old, she discovered what it was, had them removed, and is now living a healthy, happy, full of energy, full of life, um, uh, uh, life. And she's just so thankful for the information, the knowledge that she's picked up along the way in her journey. And she's just, you know, she's making it her, all her posts now, uh, have to do with something with fibroids and women's health. And so I just wanted to share that to encourage our listeners of all ages <laughs> to, um, talk with your, your doctor, talk with your OBGYN, if you need to have things looked at and checked out to, to see if you have fibroids, please do it. Don't delay. And again, also don't be fretful or fearful. Having fibroids isn't the end of the world. And it doesn't just automatically mean that you won't be able to have children or that you're going to have difficult cycles. So just get yourself informed, get yourself looked at. And um, again, feel free to reach out to Angela or I via our uh, IG inbox or our email, which you'll see in the description. My IG inbox podcast. is real full, so I don't know. <laughs> Yes, for your personal page, but check us out at the Rich and Rogers podcast. Um, you can drop us a message there or in our email, which you'll, again, you'll see the link in the in the description of this podcast. Any final thoughts? To yes. Add, well, I actually wanted to add on to that because sometimes I find myself watching videos about fibroids. One of the doctors said that fibroids also tend to come on when women are going through very stressful times, such as dealing with passing mm. of loved ones mm. and holding on to the emotional pain from losses. Okay. And so... They will tell you some doctors, again, I'm not qualified, however, but they do advise you that the body does keep count, whether that's emotional trauma or losses. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to end with that January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month and early prevention is the first step. Yes, Cervical cancer is almost 100% preventable, Mm -hmm. yet 10 women die from the disease each day in the U.S., Mm -hmm. uh, one out of two of whom are in their 50s or younger. Although it is the first most common cancer among women, it is more more likely to be treatable if detected early. Be sure to get screened and stay informed about cervical cancer. There is no better way to be sure than to go for cervical screening with a pap test. And or HPV co-testing. Early detection saves lives. Hashtag Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. We love that. Boo, we need you to get checked. We need get you to checked, live. Sis. We need your voice. We need you. You yes. need to make your footprint in the earth, That's girlfriend. Right. You are a value add, sis. So make sure you keep that health in check. Yes, indeed. So thanks for joining us. Subscribe, like, share. Hit up our inbox on, I believe it's Rich and Rogers Pod on Instagram. And we also have an email address, richandrogers at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. Peace out. Ciao.